Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're at. And we're going to be uh, jumping into the passage. But you know what? If you go and you study out some things, one of the most foundational parts of our country's judicial system is called the burden of proof. How many of you heard of the burden of proof? The burden of proof is something of the fact that in a court case, someone, whether it's the plaintiff or the prosecution, somebody has, has to carry the burden of proof. You have to prove that what you are saying or that what you are claiming is true. And tons of cases, tons of cases, probably probably over 90% of cases are uh, are, uh, determined by the proof that is presented. There's different types of proof, but regardless, you've got to have proof if you're going to present something in a court of law. But this is something that's probably been in your life, too, the burden of proof. Think about it. What were the two words that you said to your friends who told you an unbelievable story? Or they told you about an incredible talent that they had? Or you told somebody else about something that you could do that nobody else could do? What's the two words that were said on the playground? Or the two words that were said in high school? The two words that were said in college when you said you would fearlessly accomplish something? The two words were? Prove it. Yeah, prove it. I told you about a couple of weeks ago, we were at Disney World with the family on our vacation. And I remember we were there and the boys, they, I think I've even shared this. The boys, they were kind of like daring each other through the day to say things to cast members. The cast members are the employees of Disney World. And so we're walking through and we were walking through the, the Star Wars area and Dennis, uh, you know, was joking about telling them, hey, I went bowling with Darth Vader and Micah's like, well, I dare you to say this. Just having fun. And we hit one point where one of the, uh, the characters from Star Wars was on the stage right in front of us. Everybody's kind of walking around and, and one of the boys is like, uh, looks like he's wearing a dress. And I said, well, I dare you to go say it. And they were like, I'll do it. I said, okay, do it. And they both just kind of stood there and looked at me. I was like, man, you guys are a bunch of sissies. I was like, I would do it. And they looked at me and they went, prove it. I went, okay. Thought about my approach. And then I walked right up to that stage and I looked right up and I went, hey, my kid says nice dress. And he just looked down at me, and in his you know, voice, he was like, I bet you think that's amusing. And I was like, actually, yes. Yes, I do. And I laughed, and my wife was standing there like, oh, my goodness. You're such an idiot, you know. Man, you have the burden of proof. Hey, you're going to say something. You're going to do something. Prove it. That burden of proof in a court of law, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the court of law because... If you're going to claim something about a crime or something about somebody that was done, if you're going to claim something substantial, you better have some substance, some proof behind it. We've been going through this study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've learned a lot of things. We've seen Paul 
of course, who trusted Christ and received Jesus into his life, then Paul would be used to go and to start a number of churches. One of the places that he would start a church in was this town of Corinth, where these people uh, many of them just entrenched in, in uh, gross ideology and, and uh, uh, idolatry and all of these different things and these false religions. And Paul would go in and preach Jesus to them. And many of them trust Christ as Savior. And Paul stayed in Corinth for three years preaching and teaching who Jesus was and why he came and his plan for your life and mine. And, and then Paul would leave. And then he would receive word through that delegation that was sent to him that we read about in chapter 16 that will be at at the end of the month. He reads about, or he, he receives word that uh, things aren't going well in Corinth. And so I, I'm going to write back to the church at Corinth, Paul decides to help encourage them. And so he writes to encourage them. And there's so much truth in the book of, in the book of 1 Corinthians in this letter from Paul to the believers at Corinth. And we've covered a ton of things. But as we come to today's passage, <clears throat> Paul, just like every Christian, Paul made some very bold claims about Christianity. What is the boldest claim behind the Christian faith? The boldest claim, the boldest claim behind the Christian faith is that Jesus rose from the dead. That is the boldest claim. As a matter of fact, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, and we'll see this next week, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then we are of all men most miserable. We are a hopeless people. Why? Because we're putting our faith in somebody who's still dead. Well, here's what was going on in the church at Corinth. Many of these people, they had trusted Christ, but there were some outside influences. They weren't believers there were some outside influences that had, become, that had become kind of not necessarily a members of the church, but they'd become a part of the church that they were coming. But here's what they were doing. They were teaching, Troy, they were teaching within the church kind of to each other. You know, we all have conversations. How many of you enjoy conversations with each other before church and after church? Man, how many of you introverts and don't want to talk to anybody? Only Dustin. Uh, <clears throat> you, know what they, you know what they would do? They would come and in, in their conversations, they would plant seeds of doubt Seeds of doubt, you know, and I heard him, I heard him say today this, this stuff about, uh, you know, Jesus rising from the dead. What do you think about that? I mean, have you ever, you ever been to the empty tomb? Did, did, did you see Jesus after he rose from the dead? Uh, have, you, have you really met somebody? I mean, other than Paul and Peter, have you met somebody that, that knew Jesus? Like, other than just a few people and so these conversations were taking place within the church that were causing doubt. And when you come, when we come to 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul is bringing to the table that we're going to see for the next couple of weeks, Paul is bringing to the table a number of proofs that back up the resurrection of Christ. He's bringing evidence into the courtroom to say, hey, this proves he rose from the dead. This proves he rose from the dead. This proves, and he goes through all of these things. One of the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and don't miss it, because if you miss this, if you miss this thought, you kind of miss the whole thing. One of the main proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the work that he does in his followers. You want to know one of, the main reasons, one of the main ways that 
people around you can know that Jesus is real is if your life backs it up. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Has there been real change in you? Some of you are wearing the sweatshirts today of our church. Real people, real life, real change. The theme for the church that we had when, God, when we started the church over uh, 10 years ago was we want to be real people who are traveling through real life, but by Jesus Christ and by his grace, we experience real change. Who were you before Christ came into your life? Hopefully you would say, I'm different now than I was then. Well, who made that change? Oh, well, I made some, you know, I turned over a new leaf. No, no, it's a change as only he can make. And here's what Paul brings to the table. Here's what Paul brings to the court today. He brings the proof of this. Hey, if you know Christ, when God's grace is at work in your life, your life is gonna bear record. Your life is gonna prove. The grace of God at work in your life is gonna prove that Jesus is alive. This is what I want us to be challenged with today as well as this coming year. But let's go to the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Stand with me if you would. We're gonna read the first 14 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. And then we'll get in our message this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number one. Excuse me, Paul writes this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you I declare unto you, I want to make known to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you've believed in vain. For, because I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also I, re- that which I also received, how that Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. That means up until this writing, many of those people are still alive, but some are fallen asleep, some have passed away. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For because I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called, it's not even appropriate for me to be called an apostle. But why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But, pay attention to verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching empty or vain, and your faith also empty or vain. It's pretty powerful verses, isn't it? Hey, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, what are you doing here? 
Hey, if Jesus, church at Corinth, hey, if he didn't raise from the dead, then your faith is empty, the preaching is empty. We are just wasting time. But I want to prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead. And one of those proofs is our theme for the year, and it's verse number 10, where Paul says these words, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed or given or placed upon me, it it was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You know what Paul is saying this morning is the grace of God at work in a believer's life proves the resurrection. Hey, church at Corinth, there's some among you that say a resurrection didn't take place. Well, I want to direct you, and next week we're going to look at all of some of the other proofs. But this week he says, hey, I want to direct you not only to everybody who saw him, but I want to direct you to the change that he has made in my life. And the theme that Paul works on that in this passage that we're going to look at is this simple thought that when God's grace is at work in a believer's life, it proves the very God we worship. When you let God's grace work in you and through you, it proves the very God you worship. So, well, Pastor, what does that mean? What does it mean to let God's grace work in me and through me? I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to look at that, and I hope it'll be a help. Let's pray and ask God to work in our lives with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Will you take just a minute, and would you ask God to speak to your heart today? Ask God to help you today, to hear from him. And would you ask the Lord today to help you to learn about his grace in your life? Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for just your love and your care for us. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to be uh, in your house. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today. Uh, Help us to have minds um, and hearts and ears to hear and to listen and to process and to grow. And Father, I pray if there's someone that's with us in person or online that does not know you as Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you and in you alone. And God, I pray that you'd help every single one of us that know you. Father, would you help us today to be motivated in this new year to love you and to allow you to work and to strengthen us and to have your grace evident in our lives. And Father, I pray that you'd help me to be motivated by that this year. And Lord, that you would use us to make a change and to prove your very existence, Father, because of us walking in grace. We love you and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. If we're going to really understand, in order to understand what we mean by living by grace or this phrase by grace, we have to really recognize the definitions of grace or the type of grace that we're talking about. In scripture, there's a number of definitions, or maybe I'll say it this way, there's a number of characteristics to grace that that is in your life. Now, the first type of grace that we are introduced to in the Word of God is called saving grace. What is this? This is the unmerited favor of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you deserve God's forgiveness? 
No. Can we earn God's forgiveness? No. The Bible says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, that by grace are you saved. Well, what is that grace? By the unmerited favor. Man, God says, hey, I'll give, I favor you even though you don't deserve it. That's saving grace. That's God offering forgiveness at the expense of his son. That is that, ex, that, that forgiveness that's given completely to us is that saving grace. But what we need to know and what we need to remember, and we will see this again in just a minute, is that God's grace doesn't stop. Listen, God's grace at work in your life doesn't stop at salvation. No, once you receive Christ, you still have that unmerited favor, but now it's not an unmerited favor that brings you salvation. No, it's an unmerited favor that brings you strength to just continue forward. So there's saving grace, but then there's also what we're calling strengthening grace. Man, this is God's favor in your life to say, hey, I'm going to help you through this. This is God's favor in your life to say, hey, I'm going to give you the strength to walk with me. Hey, I'm going to give you the strength to talk to somebody about Christ. Hey, I'm going to give you strength to endure this trial and this hardship. Hey, I'm going to give you that. That is still God's grace. And the saving grace and the strengthening grace is what Paul talks about as you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When he helps us understand that it is God's unmerited favor in your life that can help prove the resurrection. I want you to notice a few thoughts today with me as we go through the passage and work through this together. I want you to notice, first of all, the receiving of grace. The receiving of grace. As we come through Paul's arguments for the resurrection, which again we'll look at more next week, we find ourselves in verse 8, 9, and 10. And in these verses, Paul kind of gives a brief testimony of his salvation. Verse number eight, he was seen last of me, uh, who was uh, one born out of due time. He was saying, I, you know, I, I saw Christ and many people believe, which I lean to this. I believe that Paul saw the risen Jesus even after, before, before salvation. Uh, Paul was a persecutor of the church, raised up under the uh, tutelage of uh, um, um, Nope, what's the name? Yeah, Gamaliel, thank you. I was like, Gamaliel, nope, that's not it, but uh, you could say it that way. Uh, he was raised up under the tutelage of a Pharisee that would have been a great persecutor of Christ with Nicodemus before Nicodemus' salvation. There's a lot there. And so here's what Paul is saying. Hey, listen, I saw the risen Christ, whether that be between Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension or on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared unto him, which we know he did. Paul says, hey, I saw him. But I want you to notice verse number nine, because Paul recounts for us just a little bit of his past. Verse number nine, for I am the least of the apostles and am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I am unworthy to be doing what I'm doing. I am, it, it's inappropriate, really. That's what Paul is saying. Like, it's not me. It, it, it shouldn't be that I am preaching Jesus to people. Well, why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church. 
Now, for you and I, we read right over that. I mean, that, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, we know Paul persecuted the church. But in Paul's mind, when he talks about persecuting the church, I think it would go even deeper than what we read here in 1 Corinthians. As a matter of fact, listen to how Paul described it to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry who was before, before I was saved, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But because I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. In verse number 12, in the start of that uh, passage, Paul says, I want to thank God for putting me in the ministry, but here's why I want to thank God. Verse 13 through 16, because my past is horrible and I should not be saved. That's what Paul is saying. My past is ridiculous, and I, I should not, I should not be a child of God, let alone a servant of God. We can know a lot about Paul's past or Saul of Tarsus in passages like Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26, where Paul recounts to us the countless times that he persecuted the church. I mean, you could look at the uh, the passages in Acts, and you can even see when it says that Paul, he was assenting unto Saul's death, consenting unto, unto uh, um, Stephen's death. He was the one who held the coats of all of the people that were throwing stones at Stephen. Paul was, you know what that means? That means Paul was the instigator of it. Here's what was going on in Acts chapter number six and seven. Acts six, Stephen is debating with Jews, Hebrews maybe with even Paul himself, debating the existence of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. That's what it boiled down to. And Acts 6.15 says, or Acts chapter 6, uh, verse number, I think, 10 or 11, it says in there that the, the people who were debating Stephen, they couldn't win. So they got people to lie. But even amongst the lies, Acts 6.15, an incredible verse, it says, on those that will, which looked upon Stephen, they saw, they looked upon him, and he looked as if he were an angel of God. Now, we, we hear that, and we hear angel of God, and we think of some you know, weird creature that somebody drew or, or was in a movie and floating, and they're like, oh, they saw him, and he was all so angelic. No, the word angel of God right there, the phrasing, it means that they looked at Stephen as a messenger from God. Like they, they, they could not resist or refute anything he was saying because they knew at their core he was speaking the truth of God. Acts 7, Stephen preaches Jesus to them. End of Acts chapter number 7. You know what they're doing? They're picking up stones, throwing them at him. The Bible says that there was one there whose name was Saul, who held the coats. Now, that might be a little confusing to us. Like, what does that mean? He held the coats. Basically, it, it could mean something like Stephen debating 
Saul, on the opposite side of the debate, can't refute anything. And so what does he do? He starts picking up rocks and handing them to people. Hey, give me your coat. Here, you need one too. It could mean that Saul of Tarsus was the instigator of it. He would actually even say later when he recounts his testimony in Acts 26 um, to uh, King Agrippa, Paul would say, I was there consenting unto his death. I was there and I was pushing for the death of Stephen. So when Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians where we just read that I persecuted the church, Paul isn't thinking, you know, I said some mean things on a news report one day about the church. Paul's not thinking, you know, I went on Facebook and I blogged and I gave this one a one star. Paul's not thinking about the type of persecution that we as Christians sometimes think we have now. Paul was thinking, no, I killed people. The words that he uses in the book of 1 Timothy The word blasphemous, it would mean to deny the deity of Jesus Christ and to force others to deny it as well. Isn't that what Saul of Tarsus did? Remember remember reading about it? Saul of Tarsus going in and, and him telling people, taking them to jail, trying to get them to recant their faith. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, physically using physical force to drag people from their homes, putting them in jail and even unto death. The word injurious or injurious, it means to be proud and insolent or uh, uncivil and disrespectful. We would use the, the phrase, you would use the phrase to just be a big bully. Man, to just be a jerk. That was Paul. On every, every definition Every definition of somebody who would be on the outside trying to get other people to be on the outside and persecute the church, Paul was there. But what does he say in our passage? But God's grace saved me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But God's grace saved me. Luke summarizes it this way in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1 the persecution of Saul. He says, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Man, you look at what Saul was and who he was. I think any one of us, we would probably look at the life of Saul of Tarsus and we would say, well, I wasn't that bad. And we want to scale sin, right? That's why you hear people talk about white lies, right? I want to kind of justify smaller sins and larger sins. But here's the fact of the matter. Your sin put Jesus on the cross just like Saul of Tarsus' sin. Can I, um, can I make this a little more real? Your sin put Jesus on the cross just like uh, Adolf Hitler's sin. Uh, Your sin put Jesus on the cross just like uh, Osama bin Laden's sin. Your your life put Jesus, your sin put Jesus on the cross just like that person who's got you, that you've got a grudge against. Your sin's just like their sin. Wicked in the sight of God. And yet here's what Saul, Paul says. 
but by the grace of God, I was saved. And isn't that cool? The grace of God that saves me. If you were to go to the passage, Paul is basically saying, I am a recipient of the grace of God. It's by God's grace that we're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Uh, Acts 2, 7, he is rich in grace and kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is saying? Uh, oftentimes Paul would use the phrase, the phrases exceeding or abundant. Um, uh, God's abundant grace or exceeding grace or God's abundant mercy or exceeding mercy. Uh, how many of you have been around somebody who is hyperactive. You better raise your hand because that's me and you're all around me a lot, all right? Man, somebody who's hyperactive on all of my all of my report cards. You can ask my parents literally from getting kicked out of preschool. I went to preschool for two days, I think. Was it two days? One day? I went to preschool for one day. Man, that's getting worse and worse. Quit asking mom. I went to preschool for one day and from preschool all the way, listen, all the way through the end of college, through the end of college, I got in trouble as a master's student in college for being hyperactive in class. <laughs> Every report card that had reports in the college ones, they didn't really write any notes. It was just like, you're an idiot. You got a D, you know. <laughs> but all through elementary school and grade school, you know what it always said? Dennis is a nice young man. Dennis is kind. Dennis can be respect, can be respectful. But on just about every one of them, it would say, but Dennis talks too much. Dennis is distracting with his classmates. Dennis is too hyperactive all the time. A hyperactive child, we would say, man, they've, got, they've just got a lot of energy, right? I mean, they're just always going. The word exceeding or abundant, when Paul uses those to join it to grace, it's the Greek word that we would get our word from of hyper. So here's what Paul is saying. Hey, I was saved by hyper grace. I was saved by hyper mercy. I, you, know what he, you know what he's saying, man? God, listen, don't, oh, don't miss it. I think as Christians, we just let culture help us kind of see this definition of grace as like, yeah, it's unmerited favor. But really, if we're all honest, I mean, I deserved it a little bit. Here's what Paul is saying, like, no, God's grace, it like was all over me. It was hyperactive in my life. God's grace was pursuing me. It was rich. It was exceeding. It was abundant. I did not deserve it, but I am a recipient of God's grace. Hey, how do you feel about God's grace in your life? When's the last time that, listen, when is the last time that you stepped back and went, man, I know I can scale my sin and say it's a small sin and a big sin, but God, to you, everything is sin. And God, I did not deserve you to die on the cross for me. I didn't deserve it. What is that? That's God's grace. And the receiving of God's grace. Paul says, I received God's grace. But notice secondly with me very quickly this morning, the reach of grace. The reach of grace. In our theme verse, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's that grace that is saving, saving grace. But then it would say this, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, it was, it was not in vain. 
It was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, listen, it is God's grace that saved me, but God's grace didn't end at salvation. Do you see the first part of the verse? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which is bestowed upon me was not in vain. Man, that is specifically the grace of God, the first one. That is specifically talking about the salvation, saving grace. Man, by God's grace, I'm saved. But his grace that was bestowed upon me, it wasn't in vain because I labored more abundantly. But in my laboring, it wasn't I It was the strengthening grace of God that helped me. What is Paul getting at? Hey, when you got saved, God's grace didn't, God's unmerited favor for you, it didn't stop. The grace from God doesn't stop at salvation. It's like, um, I'll try to explain it this way. It's like the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is not just for salvation. No, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for your living. What do you mean, pastor? You get saved because you put faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, correct? I get saved, saved by grace because I put faith in the finished work of Jesus, what Jesus did in the death, burial, and resurrection. But when I wake up tomorrow on Monday, January 3rd, when I get up and I get going, do you know what should motivate me? To live for God tomorrow, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop being something that I turn to and that I look to. And this is what Paul is saying about the grace of God. Hey, listen, you got saved by grace, but God's grace in your life continues to reach into your life each and every day. God's grace does not end at salvation. You see, God didn't just save you and say, all right, now go ahead and do things. No, God said, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to work in your life. He didn't just, uh, Paul said this in in that verse. He said, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Hey, God didn't just save me. He wanted to work in my life, and then he saw fit to use me. Paul would say it this way in the book of Ephesians, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what Paul said continually throughout his ministry? Hey, God's grace had to reach way down to save me, but then God, through his grace, wants to continue to reach through me. You know what Paul is helping us understand? I'm spitting everywhere today. That's gross, isn't it? Good thing I don't come down there right now. God's great. Paul is simply saying this. Hey, as I have lived for God, it's been God's grace behind that living for him that's helped me to do this. It's been God that has strengthened me every step of the way. Now, what did God strengthen Paul through? If we were to go to 1 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote these words about his testimony. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers or servants of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. 
In stripes, that would be being beaten, and in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night, uh, a night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeyings often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils or challenges in the wilderness, and challenges or perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. Brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside all of those things that are without, I have the pressure of that which cometh upon me daily, which is the care of all the churches. As Paul summarizing his life, I don't know anybody in here that would be able to like, yeah, I could match that. Yeah, I've been there. Yep, shipwrecked three times. <laughs> Hannah, a few years ago, she was on a plane. And normally if we get separated when we're flying together, actually on that trip, she went by herself. So she, I think it was her grandmother's funeral and she came back. And when she got back, she said, babe, you'll never guess the person I sat next to today. And I said, you're right. I'm never going to guess. So just tell me. And she said, I sat next to a lady today that has survived two plane crashes. Yeah. Prove it. You know, it's, it's going through my mind. And she's like, no, seriously. And this lady and Hannah looked up her story. This lady was a photographer that had, she had survived two plane wrecks. I don't know many people that can say that. I don't know anybody that can say what Paul said here. I was beaten. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I've been in challenges in every aspect of life. And then he says, but above that, this is what's funny to me as a pastor, He says, but above all those things which are without everything I just listed, even more than that is the pressure upon me of leading churches. That's when I'm like, yeah, amen. Thanks for giving us a shout out, Paul. (laughs) You know what? And I I mean this with all seriousness, but also just uh, all praise. Pastoring in any form of leadership is challenging. If you're a parent, it's challenging to be a parent, isn't it? If you're a boss, it's challenging to be a boss. And the leadership of the churches, there's a spiritual work there and all of that type of stuff. And so I, I can connect with this one, but I can't connect with anything else that he said. I've never been beaten. I'm, I'm, I probably got spit upon, but that's by my own sisters. That wasn't for the faith. That was just them being rude, you know, which they all are. All two of them. <clears throat> You know, Paul's saying, though, in all of this, when we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I labored more abundantly, but it wasn't me. I did all of that, and I got through all of that because of the strength of God. Paul was able to continue because of the strengthening grace of God. If we were to go through Acts 13 through 28, we could record a number of things that Paul did. We'll see more of them tonight, but the list of Paul's accomplishments for God could just go on and on and on. And yet, here's what Paul says. It was all God. Hey, any good that's come out of my life, it's all God. You know, this morning, any good that comes out of your life is all God. Any good that comes out of our church, you know what it is? It's all God. 
Anybody that gets saved, it's all God. We're going to talk just a second about the building. Any money that goes toward the building, it's all God. Seeing this building get built, it's going to be all God. Purchasing the property, all God. That's what Paul's saying. His grace, the reach of his grace didn't stop at salvation. Notice with me, thirdly then, the result of grace. What's the result of grace? Verse number 11. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And what's he say? And so you believed. Here's what Paul is basically saying. He's saying, because of all of this, if I preach or if other people preach, regardless of who preaches it, when God's grace is at work, people trust God. Hey, when God's doing the work, people believe. Because of God's grace and his grace at work in me, Paul says, you believed and others believed. If you were to go through the testimony of Paul, you would find out a number of things. And many of those, uh, many of, uh, you'd find out a number of people. And many of those people, they believed because of the life that Paul lived before them. Not just the preaching, but it was God's grace all over Paul's life and people got saved. Acts 18, it says that many of the Corinthians believed. Acts 13, the deputy, chief deputy believed. Acts 17, some believed, which was a great multitude that believed, not a few. Acts 14, 1. It says a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks believed. Acts 8, 7, or 18, verse 27 and 28. Many had believed through grace. Acts 28, 24, and some believed. Hey, here's what Paul is simply saying. When God's grace is at work, the lost are saved. And I would add, based upon our chapter last week, when God's grace is at work, the saved are encouraged. Let me, let me boil it down to this. The result, of God's, or the result of God's grace to this thought. When saved people are strengthened by God's grace and live for him, the unsaved want what the saved people have. I'm in, I just finished up the book of Acts in the month of December, went through the book of Acts, I think nine times in December. And the last time through, it was in Acts 16. And what jumped off the page at me with this theme in mind was Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, in the Philippian jail and they got arrested. And what did they do at midnight? They prayed and sang praises. They just, they did something that all of us, like I ain't praying and singing praises probably. I'm pouting and mad. Me and Troy are in the corner. We're, we're figuring out how we're gonna escape. <laughs> Paul and Silas, they prayed and sang praises. I'd like to say I could do that, but I don't know. We're not in that situation. But here's what it says a few verses later in verse 24, 25 of, of uh, um, Acts 16. It says that the Philippian jailer came in and because of their testimony, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like you have something that I don't have. And on Thursday or Friday, I read that and I was like, man, like God, help me go through trials so people see you. And here's the thought, and I want, to, I want to say it this way. When saved people live by grace, unsaved people want to be saved, but 
God's grace even ministers to saved people through saved people. What do you mean, Pastor? Hey, when you watch somebody go through a deep trial and they just walk with God, does it encourage you? Wow, it does, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm looking even, and, and I, I pray this to be true, but I pray it's true that our family has been a demonstration of grace watching my dad and his situation. And, and honestly, through this whole year, I'll say I, I came across this thought of grace as I, as I went through the book of Ephesians. I'll be preaching through the book of Ephesians this year. And the book of Ephesians really helped me as I, as I traveled the time with my dad because I remember distinctly so many days when I, felt like I, when I felt like I was sitting there in my truck listening to a song and weeping or sitting in my office or not even wanting to get out of bed in the morning and I'd, I'd be listening to the Bible or whatever and I would say to God, like, God, I hate this. Like, God, my dad is my best friend. I want to lose him. God, I don't, want to, I don't want to lose my mentor. I don't want to lose the person that I'm literally going to spend, that I, that I spend most of my life saying, like, God, or, you know, Dad, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I'd say, God, I can't do this. And you know what God would say? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> He'd say, you're right, Dennis, you can't. But lean into me and I'll give you grace. Dennis, I'll give you strength. And I hope that our family was a picture of that, but I want to take our family and set it aside for just a second. There are tons of people in this room right now that I have watched go through trials and I have said, wow. Like, wow. You are, you are watching you walk through that is incredible. The grace of God in your life. Many of you remember Glenn and Barb. Barb's in heaven now, but Glenn and Barb, uh, eight years ago, seven, seven or eight years ago, their son was murdered. He was murdered. They were sitting in church. The, he got murdered on a Thursday and they were at church on Sunday. And Glenn said, I can't ever forgive him, Pastor. He said, I'll never forgive him for taking my son. And I said, Glenn, I'm praying. I didn't, I didn't correct him. Well, Glenn, you know, the Bible says, no, no, I said, I was like, dude, like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand that, but I get that. I mean, I'm, yeah, I can see that. Glad I'm praying for you. I love you. But you know what? Four years went by, and Glenn, Glenn stood in that same chair. And you might have been at the service when Glenn said, Pastor, I want to speak today. And Glenn stood up, and I said, Glenn's got a, Glenn just wants to share something today. And Glenn stood up and he said, four years ago, I could not forgive my son's murderers. But I want you to know that I wrote them this week and I told them I forgive them. And I know I'm going to have to keep forgiving them. You know what I did? I, I just stood with tears. And I was like, man, Glenn, what a picture of God's grace. Because what could enable him to forgive somebody like that? Only God. 
Look at an Abel and a Nita to walk through the passing of Sam or a Helen to walk through the passing of Don or other Max to walk through the, 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 the passing of Mel. I mean, what could, walk, what could help Donna walk through the passing of her mom? What could walk through uh, other people in here? Many of you, which we could just go down the line of people who have lost a loved one and Jim with his wife and, and, and other people within our church, Tony with his mom and, and Dolores Provo. I mean, we really listen, like we could go, go on and on and on of families that have seen uh, loved ones hurt and financial struggles and loss of house and loss of job. I mean, really trials abound, don't they? Like situations, they're going to keep coming at you. And I hate to, I hate to break it to you right now, but 2022, there's going to be trials and there's going to be challenges. Don't you just wish it wouldn't happen? Man, I wish I could be like, yeah, I'm done with 2021, worst year of my life, and I'm done with it. Like, boom, new year, yeah, nothing bad this year. But I can't say that. But here's what I can say. God's grace did not stop at salvation. And God says, my grace can work in you. And when God's grace works in you, people are encouraged and people trust Jesus. I wish my dad was still with me, but right now I can, I can honestly say, I know 100% sure it is God's will that my dad is not. And I can honestly say that I am thankful that my dad passed away. I hate it, but I'm thankful because I know that God works all things together for good to them that love God and them who are the called according to his purpose. And I know that on October 15th, when the gospel was preached, people responded and trusted Christ because of my dad. And I have notes of my dad going through 10 years of cancer and people, over 14 people that he personally led to Jesus Christ through 10 years of cancer and all of that stuff. Like literally on a table, on a deathbed and him like, hey, do you know Jesus? You know what that is? That's just God's grace. There's a result. The saved are encouraged and the unsaved, they want to be saved. So what's the last thought today? That's our reaction to grace. Hey, God's grace wants to be at work in your life. And here's what Paul said. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Listen, you want to know what Paul did? Paul made the decision early on in his Christian life that God's grace was not going to be in vain or of no value or of no effect in his life. Paul did not view God's grace as a decorative Christmas box. You say, what do you mean? How many of you are driving out, you know, out and about through the community or maybe you went to Spokane or Seattle or a big city and you see decorations in, in the window displays of stores or, or you go to the mall maybe in, in Spokane and you walk and they have the, the Christmas tree and all around that Christmas tree are beautifully wrapped presents. Can I share a secret with you? There's nothing in them. Kids are like, ooh, I wonder what's in there. I'm like, air. Ooh, I wonder what's in there. Packing peanuts. They needed something to weigh it down. You know what a lot of people view God's grace as? An empty decoration box. And I received it at salvation, but it's just kind of this thing of like, yeah, I'm unmerited favor. Yep, God loves me. It's a display. Ooh, 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 look at me. I've got God in my life. Yay. And God's like a trophy. Here's what Paul says. Hey, the grace that was bestowed upon me, I didn't view it as an empty Christmas box. No, I viewed it as a gift that keeps on giving. 
and it was not given to me in vain. And so what did he do? He said, I labored more abundantly. There's that hyper again. I hyper worked for God. But not I. I let God do it through me. Our reaction to grace needs to be this. I'm going to be surrendered to God and I'm going to allow his grace to be on display in my life. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about my grandmother, my mom's mom, mama is what we called her. Mama's house literally had thousands of decorations. Unfortunately, my mother inherited that characteristic. And if you've been to my mom's house, there's a lot up on the walls. But one little difference between mama and my mom is that my mom decided that she is going to paint her walls with pictures. And if you go to my mom's house, you'll walk into the um, the, her apartment, you'll walk into the hallway right there, the entryway and the kitchen, but then right as you turn left to go into the hallway and the two rooms, all you'll see is collage of pictures all over the hallway. If you go into the guest room, in the guest room behind the, the headboard of the bed, the entire wall is just pictures. If you go into her bedroom and kind of around the corner and there's the bed over there, over here is a wall and on that wall, pictures. Dresser, pictures. Uh, other things, pictures. Other dressers, pictures. You go into the living room, you know what you're going to see? Pictures. You look up above the cabinets, on top of the cabinets, pictures. Down the sides, pictures. On the refrigerator, pictures. On the freezer, pictures. On the other freezer, nothing because it gets opened. But there's pictures everywhere. You know what those pictures are? They're a display. A display of what? A display of a mom's love for her kids, of a nana's love for her grandkids, of a husband's love for his wife, of a wife's love for her husbands, of grandmothers. You know, it's just, it's just displaying, hey, I love you, right? That's all it is. It's a display saying, I love you. Can I tell you this this morning? Listen, I'm wrapping up. When you When you walk through life with God's grace, you're allowing your life to be a picture of the risen Savior. You're allowing people to look at your life and say, that's not them. I see Jesus in them. Oh, they may not come up to you at work and be like, sir, what must I do to be saved? But they might come up to you and say, like, dude, like, I've watched you. Like, you're different. You'll hear comments like, man, I wish I had your marriage. Man, I wish I. Man, I wish my kids like, were like your kids. Man, I, I wish. Well, why are they saying that? Because I labored more abundantly than they all. No. He says, yet not I the grace of God, which was with me. I wonder in the new year, will you make the decision? Will you make the decision in this new year to be surrendered to God's grace? Will you make the decision that in 2022, you're going to 
Allow God to show you strength and grace to accomplish some great things for him. God desires to bring his strengthening grace into your life and each and every day he desires that you and I would simply surrender to be filled with him. You say, well, pastor, how do I do that? Spend time with God and God will work in you. Spend time with God, get in the word. Spend time with God through prayer. Spend time with God, with God's people. You know what he said? He said, seek me and you'll what? You'll find me. Hey, God's not playing hide and go seek for you. You know, he's not like, hey, try to find me in today. No, God says, hey, just come after me. Just pursue me and then I will work in you. I wanna help us learn more about that tonight. And so I hope you'll come back for Vision Sunday night. But I wanna ask you today, would you make the decision, make the decision, God, in 2022, I'm gonna to start today. I'm gonna to be surrendered to be a picture of your grace so that you working in my life can prove to other people that your very existence. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.